to the first Sunday of 2022. It's a new year. Hopefully that new year has gone well for you so far. If it hasn't, there's still time to see it recover. So give yourself a break. Um, how many of you have ever heard of Malcolm Gladwell? Anybody? So Malcolm Gladwell is like a, an author and a researcher, and he's written a number of interesting books. Uh, he wrote a book that was released in 2008 called Outliers. And in that book, he researched uh, successful people and how they become successful. And then he tried to compile the commonalities that he found between those successful people to try and help people figure out how they could become successful. One of the groups of people that he studied in this book was a group of violinists. And he broke these violinists into three separate categories. The first category he called less accomplished. The less accomplished are people who might be like, say, a middle school band teacher, or it might be someone who um, like, has another profession in their life, something they do when they give violin, violin lessons on the side or something like that. The second group was a group that he called the good group, and these are, pe these are people who are probably professional violinists. They probably play in local symphonies and orchestras, and they probably give lessons to the most proficient high school students, and they give lessons to college students, things like that. And then the last group is the group that he called the best. The best is a group of violinists that have the potential to be lifelong soloists on the biggest stages in the world, to play in the most famous symphonies and orchestras, to p play before presidents and heads of states, and to play on the most famous albums in the world. That kind of a group of people is the best group. And what he found was that the less accomplished group, by the time they were 18 years old, when they graduated from high school, they had practiced for around 3,400 hours. And then the good group, when they graduated from high school, when they were 18, he found that they had practiced 5,300 hours. And then the best group had practiced 7,400 hours by the time they were 18 and graduated from high school. And then he went on to say that the best group, by the time they graduate from college, they've practiced on average about 10,000 hours. And this is where he came up with his rule, which is one of the first rules in his book, which is called the 10,000-hour rule, which states that if you want to be in the top 1% of any profession, any skill, you have to put in at least 10,000 hours to reach that, that level of success. If practicing the violin for that many hours can have that much of an impact on someone's life, that much of an impact in the trajectory of our life, if focusing in the way that these best group of violinists focused determined whether or not they were going to be someone who's going to play before presidents or teach third graders lessons who have bubblegum stuck on their shoes, I wonder what could happen to us if we actually focused on the Lord. What could happen in our lives if we've actually focused on the maker of the universe, the one who made each one of us? I would like to invite each one of you to join us in what I'm calling our January Focus Challenge. For the month of January, we are challenging each of you to consider giving up something that has been taking your focus and put your focus back on Jesus. All throughout the Bible, we see times and seasons where people will fast from various things in order to focus on the Lord. And what I want to do is I want to ask you to just take a couple days, maybe a day, maybe just today, and pray and ask the Lord, what has been taking your focus in the last year? What has taken your focus off of Him? And then consider giving that thing up for the month of January in order to focus on Him. 
Now, I can't make any of you do that. I can't really make anyone do anything. But what I want to do is just share with you a, f- a few thoughts of some things that I've seen over the last year or the last couple years. Over the last couple years, I feel like I've watched the body of Christ as a whole lose its focus. And that includes you and it includes me. I think we've put our focus on other things. I'm just going to throw out a few things that I think may have stolen our focus. Social media, the news, our phones and computers, the government and politicians, and there's this virus going around. I don't know if any of you heard of it or not, but I think that's taken a lot of our focus as well. What if we said for the month of January, we're going to start off 22 different. We're going to start off 22 right and put our focus back on Jesus. So I'm asking you just to take a couple days and just pray and see what the Lord would speak to you and ask you to give up for the month of January so that you could focus on him. All of the sermons for the month of January will key in on one area of focus or another. And we're also going to have worship nights every Wednesday night from 7 till 8 p.m. just for one hour. And that would be an awesome way to just start off the year in God's presence, being refreshed and renewed and just saying, God, I want to start off this year putting my eyes on you. We also have a devotional that we have available for you that many of us will be going through. And I want to invite all of you to go through that devotional with us. The devotional actually starts tomorrow morning, so you're not late to the party. You can pick that up in the foyer and you can start with us tomorrow. That devotional looks at the book of John, which looks at the life of Jesus through John's eyes. We just wanted to invite you to join us in doing that this month. So this morning I want to introduce to you this idea of focus, and I want to look at a scripture that speaks to this this morning. It's Matthew chapter 6, if you turn with me. We're going to start off in verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, or focus on his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. Lord, I ask you to speak to us through this portion of Scripture this morning, and we just offer ourselves to you afresh. Lord, we want to hear what you have to say. 
So we invite you to come and to speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. I believe one of the greatest dangers facing us today is a loss of focus or focusing on the wrong thing. How many of you can remember falling in love? Any takers? I know for some of you, maybe it was a long time ago. Just just to take a second and remember how it felt falling in love. You couldn't wait to talk to this person you were falling in love with. You couldn't wait to see them. You couldn't wait to touch them. You couldn't wait to be close to them. You would drive for hours for just a few moments together. And statistics tell us that 50% of marriages that started in this euphoric state end in divorce. People sit around and they wonder how they fell out of love. They wonder how their love was lost. Many times the issue starts, the issue starts to divide the relationship is a loss of focus. When you're getting to know the person in the beginning of the relationship, there's such focus and such intentionality there. But as time goes on, sometimes the focus is lost and eventually the love follows. Matthew talks about this focus in Matthew 6.32. He said, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but focus first on his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. The pagans run after these things. I don't know about you, but that to me sounds like where we're at as a society. All kinds of people chasing all kinds of stuff, chasing money, chasing provision, chasing toys and promotions, acceptance, chasing a high or fun or pleasure. Everyone's chasing, 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 but never seeming to possess the thing that they're chasing, never seeming to possess fulfillment, never seeming to possess peace. And I get worried that sometimes you and I have gotten sucked into that same rat race of chasing after the stuff of this world. I wonder what seeking God first, what focusing on his kingdom actually looks like. I wonder what a person who actually has Jesus as the focus of their life actually looks like. I think a lot of times we've done the opposite of what this scripture says to do. The scripture says to seek Jesus first. And I think a lot of times we've sought the stuff first and then try to kind of give Jesus the space of our life that's left over. The thing that you give the most attention to in your life is the thing that you're seeking. If you assess your life, if you look back over the last year, the beginning of a year is a great time to do this. If you look back over the last year, what have you given the most of your attention to? What have you been given your focus to? We're just coming through a, uh, the Christmas time, and maybe, uh, maybe some of you are like the stereotypical husband that's running out on Christmas Eve to try and get that last gift for your wife. A couple years ago, I was that guy. I didn't really try to be. I had tried to order a specific gift for, I got April a few gifts, but there was one specific gift that I ordered for, and it said it was going to be here with tons of time to spare. I was good to go. And eventually I got an email saying the package had been delayed. I was like, oh, shoot. So it was supposed to get here like two days before Christmas. I was like, all right, we'll still be good. Then eventually I got an email saying the order was canceled for some reason. I was like, oh, man we got trouble. I'm about to be that guy running around on Christmas Eve trying to find a gift for my wife. So I found a place in Henrietta where I could get her this gift that I wanted. 
So it's Christmas Eve morning, and I hop in the car, and I, I put on a podcast I wanted to listen to, and off I went to Henrietta. I got a little ways down the road, and April knew that I was going to this city, and I felt my phone buzz, and she texted me, and I looked, and she said, hey, I need these few things from the store. Would you be able to stop and, and get them at the grocery store? I said, sure. So she sent me a list of those few things, and then I drove a little bit further, and I felt my phone buzz again, and so I pulled it out and looked, and it was her again, and she said, hey, there was a few things I wanted to get for the kids that I didn't have time to get. Would you be able to stop and get those things? And I said, sure, I could do that. So then she sent me those few things that she needed for the kids, and I was like, all right. So then I keep driving, she texts me again, and she said, hey, my parents are coming to town. There's a couple things I forgot to get for them. Would you be able to stop and get those things for them? And I'm like, yep, I can do that. <clears throat> so I keep driving. Now I get to Leroy. I feel my phone buzz again. I'm like, if this is my wife, man, I'm, mm. it's not my wife, though. It's Nick. So Nick texts me, and he says, hey, at worship practice, I broke the snare, and I meant to order the part that I needed, but I forgot. If, we, if we're going to have it for Sunday, then we're going to either need to go to Rochester or Buffalo. Is there any chance you're going to Rochester or Buffalo? And I'm like, well, as it turns out, I'm going to Rochester. So he says, okay, I'll call ahead to Guitar Center and see if they got what we need. So he called ahead, and they had what we needed, and he sent me the name of it and the picture. He said, can you get this? And I said, yes, I can get that. <clears throat> so I get to Henrietta. I get off the highway, and I was right by Guitar Center, so I stopped there. I went into Guitar Center, and I got what I needed. And there's a grocery store around the corner, so I went to Aldi, and I, I got the stuff that April wanted me to get there. And then I went to the store to get the stuff for the kids that she wanted, and the first store had one of the things, so I had to go to another store, and I got another thing, and they didn't have the third thing I needed, so I had to go to a third store to get the third thing, and I went to another store to get the things she needed for her parents, and I was like, finally, I got all the stuff I need, and I hop in the car, and I head home, and I go through, <laughs> go through Avon, and I pass Tom Walls, and I was tempted to stop, but I didn't, because it was almost New Year's, and I was going to start my diet, and I didn't want to start off on a bad foot, and I get through Pavilion, and I come around that big curve, I turn on the salt veil, and then it hits me. I didn't get April's gift. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it's not like I can just go later. Like, Christmas is the next day. Like, the only option is to turn around, drive an hour back to Rochester, and then an hour home. Like, how did I do that? Like, I started with the best intentions. I was going there for this one thing. This one thing had my focus. This one thing had my attention. I'm going there to get this gift for April. But then there's all these other things that she had that she wanted me to get and that Nick wanted me to get. And before I knew it, I stopped and I got the other things first. And the focus got pushed further and further in the background until I totally missed it. It wasn't like I didn't want to give her a gift for Christmas. Like I was driving to the city for that very thing. But I ended up focusing on all these other things and missing the most important thing. And I think that's where a lot of us are right now. I don't think we like went into it going like, God, I don't want you in my life. I think we went into it and said, like, God, I want you to be first, and I'm going to put you at that first place in my life, and I'm going to focus on you. But then there's all these things, all these things of life that had to get done, and these other things that you needed to do, and it was like, well, I can give God that time later, and he gets pushed further and further in the background, until the truth is, for some of us, it's like we don't even have hardly any of God in our life at all. God got pushed further and further down the list, and then he didn't become our focus at all. So I'm going to look at this portion of Scripture this morning and see 
How can we focus on his kingdom? There are three things that I saw in this portion of scripture that were kind of surprising to me. They weren't really the things that I expected to see, but they were the things that Jesus said, and he knows us best. So I want to look at those three things this morning. These are three ways to focus on his kingdom. In this season of focus for Family Life Church, how can we together focus on Jesus and his kingdom? Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble on, on its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. When I say don't worry about tomorrow, I don't mean don't plan for the future. I don't mean don't plan for retirement or plan for how to send your kids to college or plan for any of the things in the future that we need to plan for. That's not really what I mean at all. I think planning for the future is wise and good. What I mean is don't get so consumed with the future or with the past that you miss what God has for you today. Being absent is a serious, serious problem in our life. We're concerned with stuff in the future. We're concerned with stuff in the past. We're concerned with people that aren't the people that we're with right now. We're concerned with projects that aren't the project that God has put right in front of us. And we end up missing out on what God has for us today. I started reading a book um, called The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom with my daughters. And Corey Tenboom said this. She said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. When we worry, we lose the strength, the grace that God has provided for us for today. The truth is, God hasn't provided grace for you yet for tomorrow's challenges. You'll get that grace tomorrow. But today, he's provided for us the grace that we need for today. We don't have the grace for tomorrow, so it's kind of pointless to even worry about it and try and find the grace for it because God gave us the grace for today. I don't know if you've noticed this about people, but humans have a proclivity to live in yesterday or tomorrow. We struggle to live in today. We struggle to be present. We always have things in the future that we're looking forward to, things that look so wonderful. Or we look back at the past and the hurts of the past and we live in, in the pain of the past. Or we look at the excitement and we look back at the past with rose-colored glasses and we end up missing what is right in front of us today. I, uh, I was out hunting earlier this, uh, this year. It was early October and I was out bow hunting and I have a friend who knew that I was headed out hunting, and I don't like to hunt in the rain, especially during bow season. I'm colorblind, and so if I, if I connect with a deer, then trying to track a, a, a deer trail in the rain is like near impossible for me. I'm actually red-green colorblind, which like makes it even worse. So if I shoot a deer and I can see a little blood on the ground and like the, sh the shiny blood versus the flat leaves, like I can see it, but somebody could point out to me blood, and I, I, most of the time I can't even see it because I'm colorblind so if the blood trail is washing away it's pretty much hopeless like I better see that deer fall or I'm going to be in trouble so I don't even bother hunting in the rain most of the time and a, a friend knew that I was headed out hunting and so I I got out there and I climbed up in this tree stand and I was sitting on the east side of a chunk of timber and I could see a long way it was beautiful out and I watched the sunrise and I was just sitting there talking to God and asking him if he was going to give me a deer today and hoping he was going to give me a deer today and just sitting out there enjoying the day. My friend texted me and he said, hey, did you go out? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, oh, I didn't go. I saw there was a chance of rain. 
He said, I'm surprised you went out because I know you don't usually go out when it's raining. And I'm like, dude, I looked at the calendar with, or the, the forecast with you yesterday, and there was a 40% chance of rain in the afternoon. Like, I'm sitting out here, not a cloud in the sky, beautiful sunset, and you're sitting at home twiddling your thumbs, and you're going to be complaining to me at the end of the season that you didn't get any deer. Like, come on, like, get out there, go do something. You can't kill them from the couch, come on. And he just, no, like, I saw a chance of rain. I, I, I didn't want to go. So I saw him later, and I said, do you understand what a 40% chance of rain means? And he said, what? 60% chance of sunshine. Seriously. There's 60% chance of beautiful weather, and you sat home and didn't go get a deer, and you're going to complain to me that you didn't get one. But I think that's how so many of us approach life, is we look at the small chance of what could go wrong in the future, and it robs us of so much joy today. It robs us of the sunrise that's in front of us that we could miss because we're so focused on the small thing that could go wrong. What I want you to understand here is the presence of worry is an indication of a lack of trust. Presence of worry in your life is an indication of you not trusting the Lord. You say, well, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this that could go wrong? And what about this problem? And God looks at you and he says, yep, don't worry. What Jesus is saying is that being present in today is an indication of trust for him. When we're present today, we say, God, I'm not going to worry about all the things that could go wrong in the future. I'm not going to live in the past. I'm going to stay in this place that you have for me and get everything that I can out of it. I was checking out at the store the other day, and uh, there was a, a mom there who was talking to a friend of hers, and she had a, a cart with like the biggest package of diapers ever in it. She was talking to her friend, and her friend goes, oh, I guess you needed diapers. And she said, yeah. And she's like, man, I cannot wait till these kids get out of diapers. Like, I just cannot wait for the day when these kids can be just a little bit more independent and just take care of themselves, like get their own food and wipe their own butts. And like, I'm spending all this money on diapers. Like, I just cannot wait for that day. And I didn't say anything to her. I didn't want to get involved in the situation. But I, what I wanted to say to her was, about two days after they get out of diapers, you're going to blink and like an eternity is going to go by and then they're going to be teenagers. And the problems you had of spit up on your shoulder is going to seem very, very small compared to the problems that teenagers are creating. Like, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. I hate to tell you, like, enjoy the diapers. It's not as bad as you think it is. And then we get to the stage where we have teenagers and we think to ourselves, like, man, when these kids can just get out of the house, like graduate from high school and go be on their own, I can get a little peace and quiet in my life. Like it's so loud in here, like just some quiet would be wonderful. And then the kids grow up and they go off to college and you look across the living room at your spouse and you think, who are you? Like, I haven't even talked to you in 20 years. Like I got to start a new relationship with you now and stuff. And then you guys sit around together and you just wait for the kids to come home just waiting to hear that noise in the house to hear those grandkids crying and screaming and fighting you, you miss those moments so bad what do we miss that God has right in front of us today because we're looking forward to some future event or worried about some past event so Jesus is bringing us this 
comforting message about the kingdom. He's saying to focus on the kingdom means to be present in the place that he has us. And he says, there's beautiful things right before you. Just go ahead and be present right where I have you. And then all of a sudden he comes with this challenge and he says, don't judge. In Matthew 7, 3 he says, why do you look at the speck in, of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? Now, how do you see a speck in someone else's eye? Like I can look at April from here and I can see she has beautiful eyes, but I can't see a speck in her eye or anything like that. In fact, I can even look at Jocelyn, who's very close to me, and I can't see, I can't see a speck if there's a speck in her eye at all. I could even get kind of close to her, and I still can't really stop laughing. Your eyes are getting squinty. Open. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't even really see. I can't see if there's a speck in there. Um, What this scripture implies is a closeness of proximity. What this scripture implies is that in the kingdom, we have close relationships. You can never possibly see a speck in someone else's eye from far away. You know, I get concerned that in this day that we live in, we all have a large circle of people that we're connected to. We have a large friend network and friend group, but we don't really have a whole lot of people that we're close to. We don't really have a whole lot of intimacy these days with people. We have the appearance of it. We want to appear like we have a lot of close friends, but in, in actuality, like how many people actually know about the stuff that's going on in your life, about the hard things that you're walking through? For many of us, there's not a whole lot of people that we're actually close to. And what Jesus is saying is that if we want to be in the kingdom, we have to be close. But then he says, don't pick out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your eye. And the only way I could possibly see to handle a speck in Jocelyn's eye would be if I magnify it, if I used a magnifying glass and looked, looked real closely, see if there's a speck in there. You got pretty eyes. She's got these weird wing things that she does with makeup. It's over here. I don't know what that's about. No, she's got a nose ring too. That's cool. So the only way that I could possibly see that speck in her eye is if I magnify it. And I wonder what we magnify in our lives. I wonder what we magnify in the people that are around us. Do you see the world as an awful, horrible place and pick apart everything that's wrong with everyone and everything around you? Or do you see the good? There's a lot of good around us, but I don't think we see it most of the time. I was thinking about when people start relationships. When people start relationships, they magnify things in each other. They amplify things in each other. Most of the time, they're seeing the good in each other. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, let's see here, what did I say here? Oh yeah, so maybe he's getting to know this girl. Maybe say a couple, I don't know, maybe like, the, let's pick these two, I don't know. Maybe they're getting to know each other, and maybe, maybe he looks at her, and he, he magnifies this thing in her, and he says, man, she's so easy to talk to. It's like there's never any awkward moments in the conversation, just so easy and comfortable to talk to. So comfortable for everyone to be around. Maybe he looks a little closer, and he says, she's so beautiful. 
She always looks so put together. Man, does she just roll out of bed and look like that? It's amazing. But then some time goes by and we start to amplify and magnify some other things. She's so easy to talk to, turns into, does she ever stop talking? <laughs> like seriously, like how does she do that? It's like she, she ends one sentence and rolls right into the next one. Like she has a superhuman strength where she doesn't even need to breathe between talking. It just keeps right on coming. Does she even care about what anyone else has to say? Can I even get a word in? Do you care about anybody other than yourself? And she's so beautiful, turns into, like how much makeup can one person put on? I said we were going to leave at 7. She started getting ready at 6.15. At 7.05, I've been sitting in the car, like maybe I should just leave without her and teach her a lesson. How much makeup could one person put on? We start to magnify different things, and it changes the tenor of the relationship. Maybe she gets to know him, and she said, man, nobody has made me laugh like this guy. I've laughed so much getting to know him. Like He's so funny, like he, so lighthearted. He always makes me laugh. And he's so chill. He's so easy to be around. He's so laid back. Some time goes by. And he's so funny and easy to be around, turns into, can I ever have a serious conversation with this guy? Like, this is an important moment. Like, we're supposed to talk about some important stuff here. And you've got to try and find a way to make a joke and make it funny. Like, can we just have one serious conversation? He's so laid back, turns into, I know he's pushed the trash down in the garbage like five times. He brought his last thing in the garbage. It, it spilled out on the floor like... He's so lazy. Like, come on. Like, can you please help out around here? And the things that we magnify in relationship change how the relationship feels. What I want you to see is what you magnify, you get more of. What you magnify, you get more of. Another way to say it is what you focus on will grow. What you focus on will grow. I had a friend who had a, a horrible relationship with his father. The father had divorced the mother, and he didn't want anything to do with her, and he moved out of the house that they grew up in, and he moved into an apartment, and he had, didn't, really want to do, didn't really want anything to do with his kids. Just had a horrible relationship. And the father and the son hadn't really talked for a while. And the son got word through a, a family friend that the father had gotten cancer. So he tried to like restrike up a relationship with his dad, and it didn't really go really well. His dad had cancer and didn't want to get treatment, and they were kind of the, the siblings were kind of trying to force him to get get treatment, but he didn't really want it. And so his son set up a rotation of nurses to go to the house to help the dad. And every nurse that would come, the dad would fire the nurse. He just like did not want help. He didn't want relationship with his kids. It wasn't good. And the son had a mentor who was speaking into his life, and he said, well, you know, like, there's got to be some good stuff you can see in your dad. Like, you're a product of your dad, and you turned out pretty good. And he just said, yeah, whatever. Like, I can't really think of anything. The son was grown now. He was 46, and he had a family of his own, and he had kids, and they were on a family vacation. And they had been gone for a couple weeks on vacation, and 
They were getting packed up and getting ready to head home, and it was actually Father's Day. And all morning, the son was just kind of agitated inside. He was just kind of on edge, and his wife and his kids were just kind of like keeping their space from him because he just seemed like he was just on edge, and they didn't really know what was going on. So they got in the car, and they started heading home, and they had a, a real long drive ahead of them. And he got just a little ways down the road, and he had this thought pop into his head. He said, maybe I should write. He was 46. He said, maybe I should write something I appreciate about my dad for every year I've been alive. He was just upset at even the thought of that. Like the Holy Spirit dropped that thought in his heart because he would have never thought of it on his own. Just upset at even the thought of that. Like, well, I don't even got one thing to write about my dad. Like, what, I'm going to come up with 46 things. But he couldn't shake it. They stopped to get gas right before they got on the highway, and he decided to ask his wife to drive. And he sat in the passenger seat, and he got a notebook, and he got a pen, and he sat there. He said he sat there for half an hour before he even wrote a one on the page. He's like, I can't think of anything to thank my dad for. Every, anything that even seems positive a little bit has some negative emotion attached to it, some negative feeling, some negative experience. An hour had gone by. Finally, he, he remembered something. He remembered uh, when he played Little League. He was 13. He was playing Little League, and he had the worst team in the league. His dad was their coach. The worst team in the league. They lost every single game. They got to their last game of the season, and the dad kind of got everybody in the huddle before, before the game, and he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Whenever you get up to bat, no one is allowed to swing. I want you to crowd the plate. If a pitch is inside, I want you to lean into it. Our best chance to win in this game is either getting beamed or getting walked and hoping they walk in a couple runs. Like, that's all we're going to do. And all the kids are just standing there like, okay, all right. And he said that they actually won the game. He, uh, he actually got beamed, and he ended up getting walked. A couple other guys got walked, and he ended up scoring. They ended up scoring two runs, and the other team only scored one run, so they, they won their last game of the season. So he wrote down on the paper, Little League, because he could kind of laugh at, laugh at it a little bit. Then he was thinking a little more, and he was remembering all the ways that him and his dad were different. They were like from different planets. Like his dad was like the consummate outdoorsman. He was completely obsessed with fishing and hunting, and his dad loved sports. And the kid was into like art and painting and music, and they just like clashed. Like it was just like they just did not mesh. And the son was actually really into punk rock. And the dad just like hated it. He's like, that stupid whiny music, turn it off, like I don't want to hear it. Well, the mom found out that the son wanted to go to this uh, show in Philadelphia where his favorite band was playing. And so the mom kept like harping on the dad over and over again, like you got to take him, you got to take him to this show, he's been dying to go. So finally, it was right around his birthday, so the dad agreed to take the son to this punk rock show on his birthday. And so the dad got out of work early, he was still wearing a, a suit and tie and he got his son out of school early, and they went to Philadelphia, and he said he was just laughing. Remember his dad standing in line with these kids with black mascara on and fishnet sleeves, and his dad's just standing there in a suit like, okay, and then they go inside, and all the kids are in the mosh pit and going crazy, and his dad's just sitting there like, okay. But he remembered his dad taking him to that show, so he wrote down punk rock. He remembered another time. It was his senior year in high school. And this new girl had come to the school when he was in seventh grade. And he said she walked into the classroom and he was like, I want to marry that girl. She was gorgeous. She was the best looking girl in the school. He's like, I'm going to marry that girl. 
But he never got up the guts to talk to her, never got up the guts to ask her out or anything like that. It's his senior year in high school, and he sets up a plan with his friend. He said, I'm going to have you send her around that side of the school. I'll casually go around the other side of the school. I'll pretend I bump into her. I'll knock the books out of her hand. Then I'll pick them up for her, and then I'll ask her if she wants to go to the prom with me. So they did. They execute the plan flawlessly. He asks her, will you go to the prom with me? She says, yes. This is like the highlight of his life at the time. Like this girl who he's in love with says, yes, she'll go to the prom. That night he went home, he told his mom, and then he went up to bed and he was laying in bed and he was listening to his parents talk and his parents were talking about how they didn't have enough money to pay the bills. And and the mom told the dad about this girl that the son had asked out and he said, I don't really know how we're going to come up with enough money to, to rent a tux or to get the girl flowers or buy tickets to the prom. Like, and the son just felt like totally deflated. Like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I supposed to tell this girl that finally said yes, that I don't even have money to take her to the prom that I asked her to go to? So he was like stressing out about it and trying to figure out what to do. And like I said, his dad was super into fishing. And his dad always had these old horrible fishing boats with these motors that he was always fighting with to get started. He, the dad had gotten stranded out in the middle of the lake more times than he could even remember with these old garbage boats. So finally the dad had saved up enough money to get the boat that he wanted with a new motor. That was what he always wanted. It was a boat with a new motor he didn't have to fight with. He sold the old boat and he was going to take the money he had saved and the money from the old boat and get a new boat. And he decided he would take some of that money and give it to the son to take the girl to the prom. So the son got home, and there was a, an envelope on the table that said prom. And the son opened it, and there was enough money to take this girl to the prom. So the son wrote down his third thing that he could appreciate his dad for, the prom. And these things were coming slow. It was like sometimes it was a half an hour between each thing. But eventually, they started to come a little bit quicker. And he started to appreciate more and more things about his dad. Eventually, they stopped for gas one time on this long drive home, and the son changed the address from their home address to the dad's address. The dad had moved to Philadelphia, so he put the dad's address in the GPS, and he kept writing. By the time they drove up to the dad's address, the son was supposed to write 46 things that he appreciated about his dad. He had written 446 things that he appreciated about his dad, and he only stopped because he ran out of papers in the notebook. He went up to the door and he knocked and his dad came to the door and he he handed the book to his dad and he said, Happy Father's Day. He turned around and he he walked away and they drove home. Two weeks later, the the father called the son and he said, I just finished reading the notebook that you you gave me, all the things that you appreciated about me. I wanted to say thank you. I'm sure that was hard for you. I know I wasn't the best dad. I know there was a lot of things that I did that was selfish and stupid. And I just want to tell you I was sorry for the times that I hurt you. He said, I also want to tell you, I talked to the doctor this morning, and he said, I only have three weeks to live. So the son hopped in his car and and went back to Philadelphia, and he spent the next three weeks with his dad. And he asked his dad one night, he he actually got to introduce his dad to the dad's grandkids that he had never met before, and they were able to have some quality relationship in the last couple weeks the father was alive. And he asked the dad, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? He said, I always wanted to go fishing up on this uh, lake in Canada called Wolf Lake. It's supposed to be the best fishing in the world. He said, well, let's do it. So they hopped in a car, and they went up to Wolf Lake, and they went to rent a boat. And the son asked what size boat they needed, and they were kind of talking details. And the dad said, do you have a boat with a new motor we could 
we could rent. I always wanted a boat with a new motor. So the son rented a boat with a new motor, and they went out and they went fishing, and they came back, and the son stood up at the, at the father's funeral and talked about how he had, there were so many things about his dad that he didn't like, and he had been spending so much time focusing on those things that he was frustrated by that it, it totally destroyed the relationship. For all those years, he thought his dad had destroyed the relationship, but the truth was the son's perception of the dad had ruined the relationship. And he talked about how when he started to look for the positive and started to magnify the good things in the dad, it was like an explosion happened inside of him, and all of a sudden he could see all these wonderful things about his dad that he never was even able to see before, and it happened because he started to magnify the good. What have you lost in your life by magnifying things that aren't really worth magnifying? What hurts from your past have you magnified and made huge? What experiences from your past have you magnified? And what is that robbing you of today? If you live in the hurt and pain of the past, it will literally destroy your life in the present. You'll miss out on all kinds of stuff that God has for you that's sitting right in front of you. Are you magnifying the good things around you? Are you magnifying the good things in the people around you? Or are you just playing Monday morning quarterback, just picking everyone apart for everything? Have you become like a professional at finding what's wrong with all the people around you? Or have you become a professional at magnifying the awesome stuff that's inside of the people around you? The third thing I want us to see from this uh, portion of Scripture is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 4. It says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. I have a friend who uh, says to he's kind of got a saying he, he has that he says to all of his kids all the time. He's always telling them, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know, I think so many times we've gotten so good at finding what's wrong with all the people around us and never looking at ourself, never taking out a mirror and looking at ourself to see what things in our life need attention. And when we do that, what we're actually doing is we're taking ourselves out of the place where the Father can minister to us. When we pick apart everyone else and we ignore the plank in our eye, it's like we're saying, God, I don't need your help in my life. That person over there clearly needs your help. They're a mess. They've got all these problems, and I can point them out to you if you need help, Lord. But me, like, I'm good. Like, and what we're actually doing is we end up not inviting the Lord into the places of our life that we need him the most desperately. We end up not inviting him into the broken places of our life, into places where there's hurt and pain. What the scripture tells us to do is to first look at ourselves. I wonder if in this season of focus, some of us could focus on ourselves. We could look at what's wrong in our lives, look at the places that are broken in our lives, and let the Lord begin to minister to those places. I would venture to guess that probably most of us have hurts that we've covered up. 
We have hurts that are kind of below the surface. Maybe you've had interactions with someone where something happens and it's like their reaction is like a level 10 when a level 1 was like appropriate reaction. It's like, whoa, like what happened there? Well, what happened there was there was something that's been below the surface for a long time and what you did to that person kind of scratched it and uncovered it and you got 10 years of pain thrown on you because you just kind of scratched the surface. What if instead of doing that, what if we allowed the Lord to minister to the hurt places that we have, to the broken places that we have, so we could remove the plank from our eye so that we then could be helpful to our brothers and sisters around us? Would you bow your heads this morning? Where has your focus been? Maybe you've lost focus altogether. I doubt that you were really trying to push the Lord out of your life, but maybe like me on on Christmas Eve, you just got distracted with a bunch of other things. A bunch of other things that kind of crept into your life and felt important in the moment, and before you know it, there really wasn't a whole lot of room for God. Or maybe you're someone who's been struggling with being present. Maybe you're like addicted to your phone and you're robbing the people around you from being present in their lives. Maybe you've been living in the past. Maybe there's hurts and pains, things that happened to you, experiences that you had, and it's like you just cannot shake it. Or maybe you're just worried about everything that could go wrong in the future. All you can see is the, is the chance of rain and it's robbing you of what God has in front of you today. Or maybe you've been so focused on all the stuff that's wrong with all the people around you that you've missed out on the good. Maybe it's like you can't even see the good anymore. All you do is you look at the world around you and all you can see is everything that's wrong. It's like you're blind to the good anymore. You can't even see it. Maybe in this season of focus, you could begin to focus on the good. And like that son who restored the relationship with the father, as you focus on the good, it will explode and it will grow. I want to end this morning by just opening the altar. Just opening the altar for anyone who wants to come. Maybe you want to just take some time this morning and say, say, God, what do you want me to give up for the month of January? What's the thing I've been focusing on? Maybe I've been just come completely obsessed with COVID and just researching all the stats and seeing all this stuff and like it's developed fear inside of me. Maybe you're obsessed with all the stuff that's going around in the world around you. And it's just like taken over. You want to say, God, what can I give up to put the focus back on you? I'm going to open the altar. I'm just going to invite you to just go ahead and come. And I'm going to close the service for those that, that have, to, have to get on their way and you have something you have to get to. You can go ahead and feel released. But this morning, um, I just want to make a place where you can come and you can sit before the Lord and say, God, what can I give up to put my focus back on you? Lord, I, I pray for each one who's here this morning. I I give you this whole month of focus, and I ask you to pour your spirit out on everything that we're doing. Those people who have been having a hard time being present, Lord, I ask you to bring healing to them. Those people that feel like they can't even hardly see the good in anything, Lord, I ask you to restore their eyes to see the good as they start 
to magnify the good things. Just a scripture that I wanted to, to end with, and then you can feel free to be released, or if you want to come to the altar and spend some time there, you can do that as well. This is Matthew 11, uh, 28 through 30. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, I ask that in this season of focus, we would find a place of rest in you. I ask you to minister to each one. In your name I pray, amen. If you need to leave, you can go ahead and do that. And if you want to spend some time with the Lord at the altar this morning, you can go ahead and do that.